Love yourself. Strive for progress, not perfection. Know your worth, then at tax. Make an income while making an impact. Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Visualise your higher self and start showing up as that. Level up. Hi guys and welcome back to Level Up With Lou, the podcast where we help you live your best life, pursue your dreams and love yourself. It's your girl Lou Oni with a brand new episode. I am back. Guys, I'm so excited to record this episode. This is the second time we're trying to record. So really and truly, you guys have to listen and engage and share this with everyone. But yeah, um, I'm back with a brand new episode. Um, Today, my guest is Camille Johnson. Camille is a business consultant and she works with product-based businesses to help them grow and scale. She's also a breast cancer survivor and she's the co-founder of Pink Ribbon Lingerie, which is an award-winning lingerie business, which specializes in mastectomy lingerie, um, clothing and swimwear. Pink Ribbon Lingerie um, have a vision to help women feel beautiful after surgery and they want to help build confidence um, and also enable their clients to um, go on holidays and to feel confident in doing their everyday activities without feeling self-conscious. Um, so yeah, I've got an amazing guest. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Camille? Thank you, Lou. Um, and thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, it's always nice to hear nice things about yourself. So thank you. Um, so yeah, as Lou mentioned, I am a business consultant. My background is in buying and merchandising and operations management. And um, breast cancer is something that has affected not only me, but my mum. And it's the reason we started our business 13 years ago. Um, and because of my background, I kind of understood that the principles of merchandising is having the right product in the right place at the right time. And that wasn't happening for women who had breast cancer. It wasn't easy to find the products they need needed. And so we wanted to do something about it. And it was a long journey to start. We tried to start about maybe seven years previous and we were turned down by banks and couldn't get any funding. And so 13 years ago, we self-funded the business and started it then when we could afford to. Wow, that is honestly amazing. How have you found the journey with having your own business? It's not easy, <laughs> but you know, I work with businesses all the time, so I know what I can see it from both perspectives. I know what they're going through, I know the, the things that they need to do. Um, and if it was easy, I think it would be something that more people would do. Um, mm. what I would say is that a lot of the mistakes that people make is they try to grow too fast, and actually, you should grow your business slowly. Um, yeah. and you're going to be you'll have a much bigger chance of being successful so you know don't try and do everything all at once and provide everything for all people and so for us we just started initially with I think about seven bras which is nothing like really small but bras with bras you have to hold a lot of stock so just to stock one bra you might need up to 30 sizes because you've Mm. got the back size and the cup size so just to do one bra in one color is a lot of stock so we started really really small and then we organically grew so the first year we did seven bras some sleepwear and three swimming costumes um it was two swimsuits and a tankini and now we do over 40 40 types of swimwear each year and we've got a wider range of bras and um 
you know, we didn't rush into how we did it. We just wanted to find the best products out there. Um, and so before you have surgery, um, we wanted your laundry drawer to look very similar, but be made specifically for what you have. So we have uh, comfortable everyday bras. We have t-shirt bras. We have um, uh, like matching sets that are really pretty. We have sports bras. And then on top of that, we'll have the post-surgery bras that you'll need for surgery. And we have front fastening bras. We have bras that are really high cotton content in case you're going through hot flushes because you may be in an early menopause. Um, mm. And so it helps you having high cotton content helps. Um, and then we've got some bras that even have silver lining in them, which helps your body with the self-regulating of temperatures. So there's lots of um, differences that we do, but we also want to provide everything that you had prior to surgery into your lingerie drawer. And although it's an anastectomy bra, a lot of ladies who've had lumpectomies will also um, wear our products because most of our bras are wire-free. Mm. And you want to have a wire-free bra because so that it won't dig into your scarring if you have it. Um, and also it's more comfortable so say for example in the first year after surgery you might not wear a wire-free bra and then you can wear underwired bras um so you might wear a wire-free bra and then you can wear underwire but then when you go and put an underwire bra on you're like this isn't comfortable so you revert back to the wire-free and because mm. it's wire-free they're actually made technically different to give you the support that you need so there's a lot of things that goes into a mastectomy bra that a lot of people don't know um so besides having more support and different structure so made differently they'll have a pocket to keep your breast form in place so it doesn't fall out or slide and it also will have wider material at the sides because sometimes you'll have scarring at the sides you may have had lymph nodes removed which means your mm. lymph drainage under the arm isn't as good so if you have wider material you don't get chafing which may happen with some ladies mm. So there's Thank lots you. of lots of things that technically are different <laughs> about the products. And then for swimwear, it's the same. It's like having um, a shelf bra in like you might sometimes find in vest tops. It's like having that, but with a pocket inside to hold your swim form in place. I love how um, thoughtful it is as well. Um, and I'm sure like your personal experience um, with your mom and then you as well definitely helps you to tailor things more specifically to the women that you um, cater the business for. Um, so guys, in this episode, I actually brought Camille on because um, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, we're supposed to have this recording technically go out in October, um, but the way things are set up, it'll be going out in November. But it's still very um, important information anyway that I feel like needs to be out there. Um, so I actually really wanted to have Camille on because I really wanted to talk to her about her journey with um her diagnosis and treatment and then also in um awareness in terms of ethnic minorities about breast cancer and then some of the inequalities um people face when it comes to a diagnosis and advocating for your health um so just people so people understand um a bit more about your journey and um how things started um out for you can you just tell us exactly what happened in terms of your um finding out you had breast cancer and um what's going on now okay so my mum was diagnosed when I was 16 years old and so because of that I've always checked my breasts regularly and this is what I you know a lot of people say oh I don't check them that often but I was very adamant that I was going to check every single month and I have done that consistently since the age of 16 and for me um it's not necessarily everybody some people are like I'm not sure how to feel but it's 
checking yourself to see if there's any changes. So if you check yourself regularly, you're going to know what your normal is. And then you're going to know when something isn't normal. And that's when you should act, basically, is when you notice those changes. So it doesn't just go with breast health, it goes with any health. You know, when was the last time you looked at yourself naked in the mirror and, you know, looked at your body and kind of saw things? Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people just don't do that. And it's Mm. something that's really important for us to do to know if there's any health issues or any health problems. So I regularly check my breasts monthly. And I remember in um, January 2021, I felt my breast on the left was slightly more lumpy than the right. But I didn't think anything of it because my left breast was slightly bigger than the right anyway. So I thought maybe that's normal. But I kept an eye on it and I felt the same thing the next month. And I was like, oh, maybe that's normal. And then the next month, I felt a lump on the surface of my breast above the nipple and above the areola area. And as soon as I found that lump, which was unfortunately on a Friday afternoon or like after like six. So the doctors were shut and I had to wait the whole weekend, very stressed out um, to then call. I called the doctors. I was like on the phone, you know ready to dial waiting for like eight o'clock to to dial got through and they said we're fully booked and I was like I need to see somebody and I told them why and they said can you come in and see our nurse practitioner and I said yes so I went in that afternoon and she felt the lump and she said it's probably not any nothing because of your age but let's be sure and let's go and refer you to have a mammogram and so that's basically what happened um it took from that Monday morning to the following Thursday I got the phone call and then Friday I went into um, the clinic and I saw the doctor there who also discovered the lump and um, he said because it's a lump we'll take a biopsy just to be sure um, and then we can check but we'll also do the mammogram and the ultrasound so they really prepared me for what to expect um, and so then I had a mammogram which only showed a really slight shadow And so they didn't really think it was anything. But because there was a lump, they knew something was there. So they did the ultrasound and the ultrasound showed the tumour. And then they did a biopsy. And I had to wait till from the Friday, a week and a bit. So I had to wait for not that Monday, but the Monday afterwards to get my results. Um, So that happened. So it feels like when you're going through it, everything's taking ages because you just want to know. And it was really stressful. And it was actually... One of the things that I would say is I, you know, I didn't have much sleep. I didn't sleep very well. I'd wake up numerous times. I'd struggled to get to sleep. I was really worried. And I just wanted to know either way. And the day that I got my results and was told that I did have breast cancer was the day that I had the best sleep for those two and a half, three weeks period of mm. from finding the lump. Um, and it's it's a strange feeling to think, you know, you found out you do have cancer, but I it was like, now I know, now I can then work out how I'm going to get through everything. Um, so that was how I got my diagnosis. Um, so I was diagnosed with stage two, grade three, triple positive breast cancer. Um, and there are more than one type of breast cancers. And the breast cancer my mum had was different to mine. Um, and my mum also had hereditary testing 11 years ago. Um, my mum's Jewish and um, hereditary uh, breast cancer is more prevalent in certain communities Jewish being one of them and so um, because she also had a cousin who was diagnosed with the same type of breast cancer as her nine years later but was in they were in their 70s 
um, they said that it could be a genetic link and because they were both Jewish from the same a specific part of Judaism, they were Ashkenazi Jews, they could, they, she had hereditary testing and the hereditary testing for BRCA1 and BRCA2 came back negative. So I thought, oh, that's good. You know, I don't have much a chance of getting breast cancer, just like everybody else, that one in eight chance. If I do get it, it will probably be when I'm maybe older. Um, and I got breast cancer six years younger than my mum. So my mum was 48 and I was 42 when I was diagnosed. Um, and I also had hereditary testing, um, which for BRCA1 and BRCA2 and a different gene called PALPA-T. And they all came back negative. Um, so... That was something that I really pushed for because I really wanted to understand, you know, maybe it hadn't come from my mum's side, maybe it come from my father's side. Um, and we don't know, you know, globally, nobody knows the whole genetic makeup of the human body. So there could mm. still be a genetic link that they haven't discovered yet, but they have mine and my mum's DNA on file. So if they find some new genes, they can retest that and relook and see if there's a genetic link that they may find further down the line in the future yeah. um but yeah I, so I was saying so yeah so I got the diagnosis so triple positive means that it's affected by hormones um and what that actually means is that there are some you know more treatment lines than for some for breast cancers that aren't affected by hormones um and so my treatment plan every when you get breast cancer people's treatment plans can be really different from each other and they're tailored to you as a person it's not like a one size fits all model so for me i um had so grade i should suppose i should speak about the stages if that makes sense <laughs> so stage one yeah. of breast cancer is when it's just in one place localized and hasn't spread stage two may mean that you have more than one tumor in the breast or it can be in the lymph nodes and stage three means it could have spread past the lymph nodes and stage four means it's metastasized if that's if I pronounced it correctly um <laughs> in um the body elsewhere and at that point it cannot be cured but it can be helped to be maintained and managed um but the prognosis for that is not great um so I was stage two so I had um breast cancer in the the lump that I found and then also in two lymph nodes as well um, and so because it was in the lymph nodes I then had to have further full body scans to check whether it had spread so that was really once they had told me that it was in the lymph nodes that was really stressful because you're worried that it has spread around the body at that point um, so again not much good sleep uh, very stressful waiting for the scan results and having you're waiting for the scans to come up and I remember it was Easter so it's Easter bank holiday weekend so I had like a scan on the Thursday and I had a scan on the Saturday and then I saw my doctor on the Tuesday morning and the results weren't there yet because of the Easter holiday you know everybody was mm. still hadn't had a backlog of processing things so um I got the results like a during my meeting that they had come through that it hadn't spread which was great news um any it hadn't spread any further and then once I'd had all those tests you then go and have more tests and I think this is something a lot of people don't realize how many tests there are <laughs> to just start your treatment yeah. um so then I had to have a heart scan to check that I was going to be okay for chemotherapy and um, so they want to make sure that your heart can cope with that and um, so I had a heart scan which I'd never had before 
and discovered that my heart was fine, which was great news. <laughs> um, and then you have blood tests, among more blood tests, and then you have COVID tests and all of that. So my treatment, although I found my lump on the 26th of February, my treatment didn't start. My I started off with chemotherapy. My chemotherapy didn't start until April the 15th. Mm. Um, so it, it's quite a long period knowing that there's this tumour that you know about that's growing and before your treatment starts. So, um, yeah, so I did um, eight rounds of chemotherapy, um, two different types. And then after that, I had a month's break and had a lumpectomy um, to remove the tumour. And I had three lymph nodes removed. Um, and I was really very, very lucky because I responded extremely well to treatment. So after two cycles, I had a scan to measure the tumour and the tumour had shrunk um 10% and I was like that's great and I was really really pleased and then after another two cycles it had shrunk by 65% and I was absolutely like amazed and it made me you know that doesn't happen for everyone so I'm really grateful that I responded really well to treatment but it made me feel like the side effects from chemo was worth it because I could see that it was working and that helped motivate you and keep you positive when you know you've got to go back in and have more medication and drugs um and then I had another scan after six cycles of chemo and it shrunk by 89 percent so it was amazing and then when they went in for surgery there was no tumor left and mm. you know I'm so grateful that my body responded to treatment and um yeah so that was really good um and then the lymph nodes that they removed there was no cancer left in them either so two weeks so what happens is when you have your lymph nodes removed and your tumor removed or the tissue where the tumor was um they have to send it off to pathology to just check everything and so that is a process that takes two weeks because they check it over a number of days to see if any cells have replicated each day um and that came back all clear so two weeks after my surgery i got the all clear to say that i was cancer free which was amazing uh, but it doesn't stop there with my no. type of breast cancer. And I think this is what everyone thinks. Oh, well done. That's it. So halfway through my treatment, I started something called antibody treatment. So this is where chemotherapy affects all the cells in your body. So this is why you have hair loss. You have all different side effects across your body. Whereas antibody treatment specifically targets cancer cells. And its job there is to stop the replication of the cells and to try and kill it off basically so I started that treatment um in July and I had the 18 cycles of that and that finished at the end of July this year um so every three weeks I'd go into the hospital and have um two different drugs um to help reduce the risk of reoccurrence or when I did have the tumor to stop it growing basically um so treatment didn't really stop until the end of July but after my surgery I also had radiotherapy so um as a precaution and um, so i had 10 site 10 doses or 10 days of radiotherapy and i had that um at a different hospital because my hospital doesn't have a radiotherapy department so i had that at the royal marsden so that's kind of like my treatments and then um because as i mentioned the because i have the hormonal um type of breast cancer i had um, I'm also on medication for the next five to 10 years as well to help reduce the risk. And that reduces the risk by up to 50% of, re reduces the risk of reoccurrence by up to 50%. Um, and that does have some side effects as well. So 
one of the things I would say is there's lots of different side effects that the drugs can give you, but not everybody gets all of the side effects that they can. You're going to get different ones from different people. And for me, chemotherapy was nothing like I thought it would be. And that's why I like to talk about it, because I think, no, you know, you have these preconceptions of maybe what the TV tells you or, you know, I thought I was going to be in bed all day or lying on the sofa all day and vomiting all day. And that wasn't like that for me at all. It was there were still side effects. Um mm. some of them weren't very nice, but I would normally sleep Saturday afternoon for about two hours and then that would be it. Then I'd go back to my normal cycle of sleep. Um one of the things that you also have when you're having chemotherapy is you have um anti sickness medicines to help you not be sick. You also have antihistamines to stop you having reactions. And you also have steroids as well. And for me, I feel like I had a really big reaction to the steroids more so than the chemo, which is, mm. I don't know if that's a good thing or not a good thing, but as soon you had to be on the steroids for a number of days um, and for different chemo. So one chemo I had to be on steroids the day before, the day of, the day after, and another one I had to be on the day of, the day after, and the day after. But as soon as like about 48 hours after I was off the steroids, my body would be much better and more calmer. I'd sleep better. I could eat more, I could eat more foods. Other when straight after treatment, I'd have really bland and plain food because I would feel like I'm gonna I just couldn't tolerate it basically. Mm. Um there's some really unusual things that I don't think people talk about. So like I had really heightened sense of smell. Mm. So, you know, as soon as I'd come out of the chemo ward, I could smell everything really acutely and it's quite yeah. overwhelming and certain smells make you want to be sick and certain smells smell smell lovely and beautiful like flowers oh my gosh <laughs> they smelled amazing wow um, yeah but you know it's something that nobody ever mentions but it is mm. one of the side effects I had um mm. and the other ones but yeah so that's kind of what my treatment was that's quite a long one but yeah <laughs> that's that's my journey and everybody's is different um yeah. so yeah Thank you for sharing that. Um, so part of the reason why I actually wanted to bring Camille on is because I felt like, so I, um, I don't know if a lot of you guys know, you listeners know, I'm quite passionate about um, breast cancer care. Um, and I actually looked after, or I helped to look after um, Camille in the outpatient clinics um, last year. That's actually how we first met. And I always wanted to have an episode about breast cancer, but then I thought if it came from me, I didn't really thought it would be as impactful as if it came from someone who's actually been there. And I just, when I first met Camille, I just saw how positive she was and how um, well-spoken she was. And I just thought, actually, this is a, this would be a great person to have on the episode. So I'm honestly really so glad that, you know, you're joining us and you're actually sharing and talking about your journey and also breaking things down in such a um easy way to understand because when it comes from like doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals we're just like what what is she talking about but when it comes from someone you know who may not be in the medical field but has gone through it it's just more relatable and um easy to digest and some people will be listening be thinking why why is this relevant um i'm 25 or i'm I don't know, 27 or I'm, I might be 18 listening to this and I don't have any history of breast cancer. I don't have anyone in my family. For some reason, I don't believe that people my race get breast cancer. I don't really think I need to listen to this episode. What would you be saying to that person listening that doesn't think this is for them? 
Um, I would say that it is for every female, basically. You know, I checked my breast from 16 and from that I knew what my normal was. And so that's all I really want is more women to check their breasts. And if they notice any changes is to take action and, you know, go to your doctor about those changes. Um, mm. Because of what I do, I come across patients of all different ages. Um, breast cancer has actually affected my life since I was five years old. When I was five, my mum's best friend passed away from breast cancer. And it's the first kind of young memory I remember. I remember her. Um, and I remember because of, you know, remember her kids and her friends and stuff like that. And so I remember that as a really young thing. And that's kind of the first time I really remember the word cancer, I suppose. Mm. Um, and then with my mum at six, when I was 16, because her best friend had died, I just assumed she was going to die too. And oh. I literally grew up within two weeks and I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, that's the first thought. I was going to be all alone. My mum was a single parent, was her only child. I was like, I'm going to be an orphan. Like I could just like went into this kind of little mini meltdown of how am I going to cope? So, um, but I did. And she was okay. As you know, she's a 27 year survivor. Um, oh. But it's really important to one, know your familial history. Um, so I'm... Um, mixed race my mum's white and my dad was black and um for me I knew very a lot about my mum's side of the family history but not a lot about my dad's and mm. so when I was diagnosed I couldn't answer the questions that the doctors had because I didn't know and I think I feel like it's quite often in the black community that we don't talk about health or mm. ill health until someone is really really ill when you're like go to the hospital and see them or maybe go to a hospice and see them um mm. And I feel, you know, sometimes you may assume that no one in your family's had breast cancer because no one's talked about it until mm. somebody gets it and then says, oh, such and such had that too. And you're like, well, how did mm. I, did it, how come I didn't know? Yeah. So the first thing is to like know your family history and ask questions. It's not just about breast cancer, you know, is there risk of diabetes? Is there risk of heart disease? Because there's things mm. you can do in your diet and your routine and exercise that can help prevent um, a lot of illnesses. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is breast cancer isn't just a hereditary disease. As we mentioned, as I mentioned, yes, my mum's had it, but there's no genetic link that we know of. And at the moment, mm. around 15% of breast cancers are genetic. So that means 85% are. The third thing that I would say is that I know ladies who have been in their 20s that have had breast cancer. And I know mm. ladies who've been in their 80s and have had breast cancer. It affects all women it affects less women who are younger but a lot of the time the ones that are younger have gone to the doctors and have been fobbed off and said you're too young to get cancer yeah. and so when that's happened is they've then come back at a later stage when the lump has grown or they feel worse and by that time sometimes it can be to the point that it's stage four because mm. they've you know put it off for maybe six months or a year before they've actually been heard and listened to and so if you do find something it's really important to advocate for yourself and to kind of demand to like be looked at and checked and you know have that reassurance because mm. if it is cancer the earlier you find it the better your, your rate of survival is and mm. I don't say that to scare anybody I say that to like have that be informed you know know that you can you know if one doctor says no you have the right to ask for a second opinion and see another doctor mm. um and you know if you're still getting a no you can actually pay privately to have a mammogram and it's a few hundred pounds it's not something that's advertised like openly but it is if you google it you can go and pay privately and for a few hundred pounds to put your mind at peace you know mm. it may be something that's worth doing but 
when you know what your normal is and when you keep an eye on things you you know that really kind of informs you whereas if you never check yourself look at your body um you're not going to notice the changes as soon so yeah um but there's like disparities as you mentioned uh with races and there's also additional reasons why women of color are maybe maybe more susceptible to getting breast cancer as well um do you want me to go into those now or (laughs) do you have another question um i just also wanted to add um, so thank you for that. I just wanted to add something as well. Um, oftentimes breast cancer is often seen as a woman's disease because um, apparently men don't have breast or breast tissue. Um, I just wanted to just, I guess, highlight the fact that men can also get breast cancer. So guys, if you are listening, this does apply to you as well. All genders can get breast cancer because we all have breast tissue. Um, and men, you may have like pecs or chest. You still have the tissue there. And also that also includes it also goes to your armpits as well so ladies when you are doing your monthly checks make sure you check your armpits as well you know for any changes um and common symptoms can be swelling um an inverted nipple if you have any sores any like liquid discharge um oftentimes as well so some people um experience pain at certain times of the month as well so you can have like hormonal changes oftentimes people come into the clinic and be like oh um i have pain in my breast yes there are conditions that um can cause pain in your breast but most of the time um breast cancer doesn't cause pain um but like i said if you are concerned and if you are worried definitely speak to your gp um but as camille said the first step first step is making sure that you know about your own breasts um because the more aware you are the more you know when things are changing um and then the earlier you can get help as well for these things another Um, couple of them sorry to interject another couple of signs is if one breast is slightly bigger than the other than normal so most breasts aren't necessarily symmetrically equal just you know like for me as i mentioned my left breast was slightly bigger than the right um but it was got bigger and the right didn't get bigger so it wasn't like I'd put on weight for them both to get bigger so mm. that was a difference as well um, and sometimes you can have like um the skin can look like orange pills so it can be quite stretched or have puckering of the skin mm. um and I wanted to mention like you can check your breasts lying down you can check your breasts in the shower you can check it in front of the mirror um but just be consistent in how you check it and there's mm. a hashtag called fill them on the first on instagram so if you use that hashtag you'll be able to see and people will be there'll be like videos to show you how to check yourself as well and you want to check the breast all the way up to the armpit but also up to the collarbone which i think a lot of people don't realize as well um that you can um if you have like any swelling or bumps all the way up to there then that's something also to keep an eye on as well touch on or you touched on a bit about um race and i guess um inequalities or like um misconceptions that people have in terms of breast cancer um i know there's like a lot of myths as well especially in certain communities um i'll say definitely my own community is that it's definitely um the thought that breast cancer is not um a black disease um breast cancer um can often be I don't know how this I don't know how this makes any sense but breast cancer can sometimes be some sort of curse because someone's done something wrong so there's like really really weird um 
things out there to do with breast cancer but I just wanted to ask you what are some like weird things you've heard about breast cancer or like myths that you know we know now with science that is not true um so I would say there's the myth that it's something that you've done that caused it so like you were maybe bad or you were you know did something wrong in your life and that's why you've been punished in this way is a another mm. myth I've heard um another one would be um I've heard definitely heard the one that you know black people don't get breast cancer which is totally untrue <laughs> because I know many women who are different ethnic minorities that get breast cancer as well um mm. and you know sometimes that just pray and God will heal you is another <laughs> one and you know I have no problem with the power of prayer but I also believe that you should have treatment that is out mm. there and available um yeah. and sometimes you may feel that you have pressure from family members or friends but you have to listen to what you want to do if you want to you know be well or get better you've got to choose what's right for you don't just listen to what other people say this is the time where you need to put yourself first before everything else mm. um and so that's one thing that I would say um yeah unfortunately there are these kind of things and it can be quite as I mentioned taboo to talk about health but there are organizations out there that um, are there specifically for women of color like there's a charity called black women rising which supports black women who've had cancer so it's a safe space where you can go to um I know somebody when they were diagnosed they chose not to tell many people because they didn't want um people being negative around them Mm. um which was really interesting and I suppose they were really aware of what their people that their like family and friends were like so they literally told about four people and that was it and kept it very private until they'd gone through their treatment um for me I chose not to tell everybody but not for that reason I told chose not to tell everybody until I nearly finished chemo because I wanted to have some normality in my life that people weren't just saying how are you are you okay you know so I did tell friends but I only told a certain like a select few it was quite a few but I didn't tell everybody I didn't put it on social media because of what I do I just thought it would be really overwhelming if I put it on my social media for the business um and then um but once I did tell people you know the community came together as the breast cancer community do and were really supportive um, I was really lucky because I knew of some people who I could talk to that had had breast cancer um, and actually one amazing lady person who I'd met years before um, she actually had the same type of breast cancer as me and she actually was on a very similar treatment plan that I had been put on and so she mm. was able to give me like information of what to expect in the chemo ward what cold capping would be like um some of the side effects she had and we had different side effects but it was just really helpful to know and have somebody that had been through it to talk to and like just like prepare me for it as well and mm. um, so yeah so I feel if you are diagnosed decide what's right for you there's no right or wrong um but don't do it alone fully you know don't just go it alone if you aren't going to tell your friends and family um then choose to maybe go like get support from support groups or organizations out there because there's so much help that you can get um that's really really helpful and really really useful 
Thank you. Um, one of the things I also wanted to really talk about um, was disparities, um, racial disparities in terms of um, breast cancer diagnosis, treatment and experiences um, with ethnic minorities, um, women of colour. I just wanted to understand a bit more about why do you think, um, you know, different races experience different treatment or um different experiences um when they get diagnosed with breast cancer um so i'll give you some stats and this is from breast cancer now so i'm going to read it word for word um so it says that black women are more likely to be diagnosed with more advanced breast cancer and breast cancers that have fewer treatment options such as triple negative breast cancer so as i mentioned i had triple positive triple negative is kind of like the opposite to that so that means they're not hormonally driven so they don't have as many treatment options so they can't like I said the treatments that I'm on affect my hormones to reduce the risk of me getting breast cancer again whereas those ladies don't have that treatment option so there's a higher chance of it maybe reoccurring or coming back and potentially spreading um now when it said that there's more women are likely to be diagnosed with advanced breast cancer that means a later stage and that's because potentially they're not coming forward when they find a lump and sometimes mm. that could be because they've had really bad experience with doctors or with the NHS uh, previously due to racism. Um, they may feel like they've not been heard or not listened to by their GPs or doctors. Mm. And so because of that, they just don't come in. They think, oh, it will go away and bury their head in the sand a bit. And then months later, when it hasn't gone away, then they'll come forward. And that by that time, it may be stage two or stage three or even stage four. But the earlier you come in for your treatment and the earlier your cancer's fine, the better survival rate chance you have. So if you put it off and you don't come in, then you're going to have um, you know, your prognosis isn't going to be as good. So that's one of the reasons. So I'm going to carry on reading. So it says around 25% of black African women and 22% of black Caribbean women are diagnosed with stage three and stage four breast cancer in England compared to 13% of white women. So those stats are like horrific to me because it's nearly double that of white women. Um, and so if you are stage three or stage four, the treatments you're going to have, you're going to be more aggressive. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just really upsetting to hear that. Then when it goes to survival, so it says late stage diagnosis is associated with poorer survival rate outcomes in women for ethnically diverse backgrounds and breast cancer is difficult to treat. Black women in England aged 15 to 64 had significantly lower survival from breast cancer at both one year, which was a 96% survival rate, and three years, which is an 85% uh, survival rate, compared to white women at 98% after one year and 91% after three years. Mm. And then it says South Asian women aged 15 to 64 had significantly reduced survival rates compared to white women at three years of 89 percent um and for me one of the indications for that could be the care that you receive um the fact that i feel in especially in asian and black communities is we don't challenge doctors we yeah. kind of go by they tell you this and you say yes and you just do what they say um whereas I'm not that type of person I definitely advocate for myself I definitely challenge things and because of that I've changed treatment plans and options that were better suited for me I feel like I um possibly from the upbringing my mom I had with my mom that you know 
um, we would try holistic natural remedies before going down Western medicine. And so because of that, I know to like ask lots of questions and challenge lots of things. Um, and so for me, um, I feel like because maybe women of colour do not challenge and do not question, they just go by this is a treatment option where maybe a better one would be suited for them. Mm. Um, so, for example, one of the treatments that I was offered has um, a chance of you getting osteoporosis. Um, and I already have a higher chance of getting osteoporosis because I'm allergic to dairy. So I don't have as much calcium as maybe other people have. And so because of that, I was really uncomfortable to go on to that medication. So then we chose a different medication. And so it's knowing that you can do these things, but if you don't ask, you're never going to know. So I mm. could have just said, okay, I'll take that medication. And then down the line may have got osteoporosis from it. So, you know, it's knowing that you can do these things. Um, but yeah, so that's why I think potentially that could happen. Um, and then it also, um, says so awareness studies suggest that women with breast cancer from ethnically diverse groups have lower breast cancer awareness and knowledge of symptoms risk factors than white women mm. i don't know why that is um if i'm honest i haven't got a clue um, i could i could definitely um speak to that um like i think when we um when we talked about um myths and things earlier we mentioned about the taboo and i think that is probably partly the problem so in terms of the taboo of breast cancer so no one wants to speak about it even like checking your breasts like in some religions it's kind of seen as forbidden like why would you touch yourself in that way which is weird um yeah. when i went when i went to um the black what's the black women and breast cancer um conference, conference they talked about the fact that it is it is your breast like like if you're not going to touch it who else is going to touch it and it's not um it's not like you're touching it for a sexual reason which is nothing wrong with that but I guess there's like maybe like a history of feeling like oh um, for religious reasons for even like black and asian and mixed women religious reasons i shouldn't be touching myself number one number two the taboo of even speaking about it to like mothers aunts um sisters all those type of things um yeah that's what i, th I think that's the reason why it's like that but obviously i don't know for sure but, yeah. yeah um the other thing that i think well not even think i know is that there are products so my background is in buying and merchandising within the beauty industry but there are products within that industry that have carcinogenics and parabens and what they're basically really nasty ingredients that we put into our bloodstream and um, so if you use shampoos or conditioners or hair products or skincare or makeup those products go into your bloodstream and mm. there was a study with oxford university that was released in july last year that said if you um have used relaxers in your hair for seven times a year over a 15 year period you have a 30 percent higher risk of getting breast cancer mm. and unfortunately that is very easy to do in the black community um i was doing a live recently with um, a hair care brand and the owner is american and her mum relaxed her hair at age seven so you know yeah. to get to 15 years is very quick if you were doing it from age seven now i don't think seven is the norm and um, she's thought about 12 was probably the norm um 
And so for me, I've only relaxed my hair twice. I, the first time it didn't take, the second time it took, and then I wanted curly hair again, so I grew it out. <laughs> it wasn't for me. But what I would say is, you know, for a lot of us, when we have our natural hair, whether it's an afro or curls, we've often been seen that that isn't corporate, that isn't professional. Yeah. And so we have either been oxed or we have chosen to do it without even considering mm. to relax our hair to fit in into western worlds and workplaces i think mm. that is changing quite a lot um but i would say you know realize the things that you're you're doing and what you're putting into your body can really have an effect on the chances of you getting breast cancer and actually i don't have the stat to hand but i do know that um you are more likely to get breast cancer if you're a woman of color at a younger age so you know um, I believe like under 50 is seemed quite young and so in the UK we do mammograms from the age of 50 every three years so you might get called up for your first mam- mammogram on the NHS from either 50, 51 or 52 and then every three years from that um, but in the US it starts at 40 and if you have familial history they'll start even younger whereas in the UK if you have familial history they'll start it at 40 unless they definitely know there is a genetic link. So, for example, because I have three incidences of breast cancer in my family, females in my family can go and have testing from the age, can go for checkups from the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's because I found out and I, you know, I did that genetic testing and this is what the genetics team said. They said, we haven't found a link, but to be safe, any woman age 40 can come in. Now, if I never pushed for that genetic testing, I wouldn't have known that. So it's mm-hmm. another reason to advocate for yourself. And for me, I wanted the genetic testing because I would have chosen to have a different type of surgery if it had come back positive. Um, but, you know, again, that's also your own decision as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to um, the racial gap and the disparities, I think another thing to mention is probably the representation in the breast cancer community, which is why I do um, appreciate that you are talking about this and, you know, black mixed Asian women that do speak up about this is so important because if you don't see somebody like you going through something that you might go through or somebody that, you know, might go through, um, how can you feel like it's relatable to you? Um, Mm -hmm. There's, um, definitely a lot of con if you even type in breast cancer a lot of content and research out there about white women but there's not so much about black women um asian women and mixed women and men to be honest or men exactly yeah like i remember sitting in the outpatients place where we met and there's a room that the breast care nurses take you into once you're diagnosed so you see your surgeon the breast care nurse and then they take you into a separate room just to talk things through and every single piece of literature had a white lady on the front of different (laughs) ages but they were all white so there wasn't anybody that looked like me now you know I live in London so you know I think if you live in London you may have a better outcome or better experience and maybe a lower chance of racism or racial prejudice than maybe if you live in somewhere that's not ethnically diverse um also my mum was treated at the same hospital all those years ago and um her one of her breast care nurses still works at the center and she's a lady of color I won't mention her but I know that you know her (laughs) um and so um that was reassuring because there's somebody that I've known for years and she's known about our business and that was really strange and because of because of our business some of the breast nurses breast care nurses 
knew about me when they'd worked at different hospitals or at different support centers over the years so you know sometimes you, you know because I know so much and so many people sometimes that world crosses over and collides and but there aren't that many people ethnically diverse um mm. the fact that my mom's breast cancer breast care nurse was a woman of color um is good it's great to see but you don't see many um doctors oncologists surgeons radiologists um that are ethnically diverse there are a few in the hospital that i went to um which is ungrateful for but there are many that aren't like that yeah that's true i think it definitely makes a difference um to experience um i guess having someone of color who understands even when it comes to like um culture as well so like certain cultures can't eat certain things or um would prefer certain types of treatment and you even talked talk about, about you know the holistic side as well um yes yeah, so it's so important to have like diversity in yeah. representation as well as in care um mm. i agree one of the other things that i haven't mentioned is alongside my treatment i also did saw um a homeopath um as well and again she wasn't an ethnically diverse any of the homeopaths i've ever seen have never been ethnically diverse um my uh, i also had counseling and that my counselor is not ethnically diverse so you know there's so many factors along your journey um that you go on and you don't see people that look like you so when you do it's a blessing like on my chemo ward none of the nurses were that were there um when I go on to chemo days were ethnically that well, weren't people of color and then mm. halfway through my treatment um the sister changed and she was a woman of color and I was like oh this is refreshing to see you know so <laughs> you know it, it's it's few and far between and you're grateful when you do but I do definitely think that it's important to you know for more publications to show people that look like you and that's why I you know do what I do talk about it um I've done campaigns with sleek uh, sleek makeup um last year for breast cancer awareness month with another um six other ladies who've had cancer and who are all black just to show that you know people in our community what it's like and what you know that it is something that does happen and it needs to be talked about and discussed mm, definitely um another thing I wanted to mention guys as well is that there is um some, some socioeconomic factors as well um and there are certain risk factors um related to breast cancer some that we can control and some that we can't control and unfortunately sometimes some of the risk factors um, are found in certain minority groups um, some of them including obesity um, alcohol um, higher alcohol intake um, are things that people don't really know about like no one mm. ever thought oh can being um, too overweight um, increase my risk no one ever thinks about that or talks about that um, but in terms of um, factors that may not be um, factors that you can't change, stuff like age, you know, your family history, these are things that will stick with you regardless. But Camille, do you know any like um, lifestyle factors um, apart from the ones that we've talked about that you could yeah. share that you were surprised about? Um, so I remember years ago, I learned that if you breastfeed, that can help reduce your risk of getting breast cancer, um, which I thought was interesting. And Unfortunately, not so much now, but previously there have been companies and organisations that have not encouraged breastfeeding. Mm. Um, and so, you know, some people are encouraged to go straight to bottle and not try. So that's one thing. Um, 
exercise. So they know that if you exercise regularly, 150 minutes, I think it's 150 minutes a week or about that, I think. Yeah. Um, just keeping an active lifestyle really helps as well as um, the ones that you mentioned. Um, I did know about um, overweight. So it's to do with the mass, the, like the fat around the circumference of your stomach, that area, if that, you know, sometimes people hold weight in different areas, but if you hold it in your stomach, that area um, or the waist area, that's kind of known to be something that can affect your, um, your risk of breast cancer. So for me, I'm gradually getting back into fitness and doing things that are, um, trying to be more active and doing things that aren't too harsh on the body because you have to really be careful with your arm after you've had lymph nodes removed and stuff like that so I'm trying to um be more active and do water aerobics because that's something I enjoy and works for me and it's good on the body but it's not harsh on the body as well because you've got the weight of the water to support you um Mm. but yeah so I would just say having an active lifestyle and then eating so um I did all the things basically I was like I'm a control freak and there's only so much you control with your diagnosis there's not much basically so I was like what can I control so I did a workshop with oncology dietitians it was over four weeks and where they taught you about how a healthy diet should be with or without cancer what you should eat going through treatments or foods to avoid because of the site of the your stomach it's got so much drugs pumped into it. It's very sensitive when you're going through treatment. It doesn't like certain things like acidic things. So foods to avoid. And then the natural foods that you can have when you have symptoms. So like if you have nausea, having ginger tea or um, having ginger biscuits even. Um, mm. If you have, um, I don't know, fatigue, certain foods. So there's like foods for all different side effects. So I like literally looked at all the side effects I could get and I made sure I had all of the things that I needed ordered in just in case I got them I would go to to my chemo with because I did often feel sick but I wasn't sick but I felt sick at chemo so I'd Mm. often I'd take ginger tea with me and some ginger biscuits and they'd always make it for me yeah so I'd like prepared as much as I could and then since then also about um learning about the amount of red meat you have and processed Mm. foods and um there's a kind of not a a taboo or wise tell about the fact that sugar can cause cancer and i would say that we don't know if it can cause cancer but sugar isn't good for the body in large doses and often the foods that we have consume a lot of sugar that we're not aware of so um i don't have added sugars in things so i don't now get a bolognese in a sauce i'll make it from scratch or um so i know what exactly is going into it um Mm. And I reduced my red meat intake. So um, I used to be anemic. And so because of that, I used to eat a lot of red meat. Um, and actually, they suggest that you shouldn't eat when you're going for treatment um, more than 500 grams of red meat a week. And mm-hmm. so I was definitely doing way more than that. So I don't do that anymore. Um, and yeah, so I, I think diet comes into it a lot. And I think all of these changes can only do you well for general health as well. So I eat a lot more fruit and veg, more than the five a day that it suggests um, that we get told about because the oncologist was saying, you know, 10 fruit and veg a day. And I was like, 10? Oh my gosh, that's going to be really hard. <laughs> and actually, it's really not that hard because you can put seven into a smoothie and get it done out of the way in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then you can, um, and I would, ha- I mix mine with fruit and veg because fruits have lots of natural sugars, but it's still a lot of sugar. So I put greens into it as well um and then yeah so I've just 
kind of tried to just continue and maintain eating healthier and um the exercise is really i would say the lifestyle changes that i've made i'm not on a diet at all it's just a lifestyle change yeah thank you um finally i wanted to talk about um advocacy the big a word mm-hmm. um because i feel like advocacy is something that regardless of who you are where you're from what health condition you may have or lack of health conditions um it is important and because obviously people as well have family members and friends who may be going through certain conditions or certain um have a certain diagnosis um so i felt like advocacy is something that we should touch on a bit in this episode um and often people, as you um, mentioned earlier, from a certain background or um, minority may struggle to challenge doctors and mm-hmm. healthcare professionals and kind of just accept um, their word for it. I remember um, in the um, conference that I went to recently, um, one of the guests mentioned the fact that she was told that she was too young to have breast cancer and was um, by two different doctors. Um, and it wasn't only, it was only until she came back home to England to see her um, regular GP that, you know, she was able to have the scans that she needed to have and she was taken a bit more seriously. What do you think people can start doing today to be better advocates for not only themselves, for their family members, friends, and, you know, the people around them? Okay, so first thing I would say is when you go into a meeting with a doctor, um, now we're at COVID time, so a lot of the time you have to go in on your own, whereas prior to COVID, you could take someone with you that would help write notes. You can still do that with them on the phone. So I was allowed to have someone with me when I had my results. So any major results, I was allowed to have somebody with me. So I was there when I got told of breast cancer, I had someone with me, and when I got my um, all clear after my surgery. But every other appointment, I was on my own. So for the first appointment with my oncologist and I had loads of questions, my friend was there writing notes. Because sometimes this information is overwhelming and you don't absorb all of it and you'll Mm. forget things. The second thing I would say is always take a list of questions that you want answered. um, And so that you don't leave the appointment without having, you know, like, oh, I forgot that. So have them (laughs) written down either in a notepad or in your phone under notes. So I would always do that. Um, the third thing I would say is if you have symptoms, write down when you have them and how frequent you have them. Mm. So um, unfortunately, we don't have a cure for all breast cancers and breast cancer can return and become mastitic breast cancer in 30% of cases, which is really high. And, you know, a lot of the time, as soon, you know, as early as you do have secondary breast cancer, the earlier you find it, the more treatment options you're likely to possibly have so you really need to look at your side effects so even now if I have something wrong whether it's a headache I will note it down that I've had that to see if there's a reoccurrence of it and so that I can see a doctor or my oncologist if I've got concerns and I can specifically say these are the dates and the times and how frequently it's happened because when you've got real tangible data they have to take you more seriously than just saying, I've had a few headaches, you know, do you know what I mean? Mm, So if you've had a few, if you know, you could say, so whatever it is about health, write down these things um, as they're happening. So you kind of know in real time um, and you can then refer back to it because we forget, you know, when it was so much is going on with our everyday life. Um, 
The second thing that I would say is um, I've known of women like you that saw a doctor 10 times before they told it was breast cancer. Um, breast cancer, uh, breast, uh, sorry, Black Women Rising did a survey recently to 100 black women and 46% of them were told they were too young to have cancer. Mm. Like 46, that's like, can you imagine? So you think, oh, you're too young. Oh, okay, the doctor says I'm too young. It must be nothing. It will go away. Whereas if you challenge it and say, but not everybody, you know, some of those people that, but even that, if you challenge when they say, oh, you're too young, then you, you know, if you can say, actually, I know somebody that was younger than me that had breast cancer, you can challenge back and say, are you sure? If it was you, what you, I often do this thing. So I say to my doctor, what would you do if it was you? And they might say, oh, but you know, everybody's things individual. And I said, I understand that, but what would you do if it was you? And then it really makes them go into themselves mm. and think about what they would do if it was them. Um, one of the things my oncologist said was that I wish like more people were like you, Camille. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, I wish more people would ask the questions that you do. And I goes, doesn't everybody? And she said, no. Mm. And, you know, I just thought everyone's like me. They just want to know all the information as possible. And I suppose maybe some don't because they're scared. They don't want to know, you know, sometimes some people don't want to know all the details. But mm. um, yes, and also do your research. So, you know, if you think you found something, yes google is not your friend but they you know the nhs does have medical information on there so if you go by a reputable source and you go there with the information if you have similar symptoms so you could be like i read up at breast cancer now or macmillan and it says if you have these symptoms and these are the symptoms that i have i would like to have a mammogram or re be referred for a mammogram that would be really useful there's one thing that i do want to add is that um People who have dense breasts, and what that means is the tissue is quite dense, sometimes the tumours won't show up on a mammogram. And so for me, I don't know if you remember I said that, I was the light shadow when actually my tumour was quite big. And so having an ultrasound is really important. Um, and women from black backgrounds generally have denser breasts. And also the younger you are, the more dense your breasts are likely to be. Mm. So sometimes a mammogram won't even, they won't necessarily be able to detect the tumour. Um, so even if you can't feel a lump but you do have those other symptoms ask for an ultrasound as well if it's not offered as standard mm. but if you don't know to ask that then how will you know so that's why I have mm. to tell people ask for it because you know <laughs> this is something that can affect women of color if they're you know more susceptible to have dense breasts and if they're more likely to get breast cancer as they're younger their breasts are going to be dense as well mm. that's so true um, thank you for sharing that. Um, another thing I would say um, in terms of like advocating for yourself is don't be afraid to be assertive and persistent. Um, there's this notion sometimes with black women or mixed women that um, being assertive um, can come across as you are somewhat, I don't know, um, aggressive aggressive threatening angry black woman angry exactly yeah. I, um i had sorry. to ask for my genetic testing three times and my oncologist was great and she every time she sent the email while i was in the room and it was the genetics team who don't know who i am that just said no 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 but she pushed back and you know because i asked for it and she was persistent with them but i had to ask mm. three times 
Mm. I shouldn't have to ask three times, but I had to ask three times. And I know a lot of women who have genetic history in their family. And, oh, this is the other thing. So my understanding is now, if you know you have a genetic history in your family, they're not just going to test you necessarily as standard. They'll be like, well, you know there's a history, so you know to keep an eye out and just come in for regular checks. Mm. But if you don't talk about it in your family and you don't know it's there, how do you know that there's a genetic history to know that you should come in for checks? Mm. And I know that genetic testing costs money, but I really wish that every woman who got breast cancer was had a genetic test as standard because I think mm. we'd learn a lot more about the disease if that was the case. Mm. That's very true. <laughs> um, and let me pray to get a second opinion. Um, you know, he, doctors do make mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. They're human beings. Um, and some doctors are very different with the way they would treat different things so some are quite aggressive um some are more conservative so always 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 in my I, in my opinion even with my own health i i don't have a problem with getting a second opinion um yeah. i actually can... changed um sorry to interject i actually changed surgeons because i didn't feel comfortable with the surgeon i had so oh. you know you can do you have to do what's right for you and I'm glad I made that decision. But, yeah. you know, you can do that. Don't think that you can't. You can actually also change hospitals. If you're not happy with the treatment, you can change hospitals. Yeah. Um, especially if you live remotely and, there's, you know, there's level of service isn't the same. You can. Obviously, sometimes you're going to have to travel a great distance. But I know women that have travelled from outside of London into London to be treated at a bigger hospital um, and have better care for them in their trust than their trust can provide. So... There's lots of things you can do. You just have to know to ask. Mm. So I just want to say thank you also for like letting me speak because, you know, someone may hear this and it may really impact them down the line in their life. And so thank you for letting me kind of share as well. <laughs> no, thank you. It's honestly an honour to have you on this episode. And I genuinely wish we had a lot more time to talk about this. I could literally be here for hours talking about this, but I'm pretty sure no one wants to hear um, <laughs> a very long episode (laughs) yeah what I would say to everybody is that um two things I have a really positive mindset and that really helped me through my journey so instead of the I have like I like to put the rose tinted glasses on so you know once I got through the first cycle of chemo I was like I got through the first one I can do like you know one done only seven to go so like try to be really positive throughout every single stage of my treatment the other thing that I would say was really important was that to say that we don't know how strong we are until we have to be strong and so you can get through it you will get through it there are amazing support networks in the cancer community and yes it's really scary I'm not going to deny that it isn't and you do feel like things are out of your control at the time you're going through it you just have to take one day at a time and I hated when people told me that just take one day at a time but it really really does make a difference and so what I would say is yes it's not great but think of I was so grateful for things like the little things like the fact that in the height of COVID I had treatment nothing was delayed so I was grateful for that I was grateful for the NHS that I was able to get health care because in other countries people would have to pay for the services that I had so I looked at all the positives throughout it and you know if you can keep a positive mindset it's really going to help you. Um, there are ladies that dress up and dress all like colourful and bright colours when they go to the chemo ward to try and keep positive and not feel so down. So there's lots yeah. of things you can do. Um, and just, you know, that positive mental attitude can really, really impact you um, in a really good way. 
Thank you. Um, and if someone knows somebody who is currently um, going through breast cancer treatment or has just had a diagnosis, how can they support them better? So um, there's quite a few things that people say that I, you know, they mean well when they say it, but we don't want to hear. So I think I'd be better off sharing those. So mm. things like you got the good cancer is not what I want to hear. Yes, it's very, you know, a lot of people know about breast cancer and they see it on TV and they see people doing race for lives and stuff like that. But no, no cancer is good. So please don't say that even if you mean well. Mm. Um, when you lose your hair, or don't say it's only hair, it will grow back. Because yes, that is the truth, but nobody wants to hear that either. Mm. Um, so you can say something like, oh, you'll look amazing in a headscarf or a wig, or do you want me to come to the shop with you? Be supportive in that way. Um, sometimes it's really difficult to ask for help. And some people, like a lot of people say, how can I help you? And you're like, I don't actually know. I don't know what I need. So instead do things like, do you need anything from the shops? I'm going to the supermarket. Can I get it for you? Can I mm. make you a meal? Do you need me to do the school run? You know, mm. things like that. So you give them the option of the things that you could do for them instead of them having to think what it is for them. So those little yeah. things would be really nice. Um, yeah, like I had appointments and I, you know, people would take me to them if I didn't have my car for that day, if it was in the garage, just little things like that. Um, what was really nice for me is because of COVID, I wasn't really mixing with people during chemo because your immune system can be affected greatly and you don't want to get any colds or illnesses. So I used to meet my friends and we'd go for a walk in the park. So I'd meet them at different parks and go for walks. And that allowed me to have a chat with my friend and get some exercise as well um, while I was isolating in a kind of safe environment. Um, so those little things, just know that they're there. Um and know that sometimes I don't want to just talk about treatment so don't always say how are you as the first thing it's like hey I haven't spoken to you in a while I've been so busy and then you could talk about your life because they actually want to hear something different than just talking about cancer talk yeah. so yeah so that's what I would say those little tiny things really make a difference thank you um finally how can listeners get to know a bit more about you and pink ribbon lingerie so we are on Instagram and on Facebook, but Instagram is our main kind of point of call. So we are there under Pink Ribbon Lingerie. Um, so feel free to follow us or share the profile with anybody that's affected by breast cancer. Um, but yeah, just if you have any queries or questions, just send me a DM. I'm happy to answer them or point you in the right directions of places that can help you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Camille. Thank you, Lou. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of Level Up with Lou. I really hope you actually learned something from it, guys, because I feel like this one's quite an ed educational one. Um, I hope you learned something. I hope you've been impacted. Please share with all your friends, uh, family members. Definitely, I feel like the awareness about breast cancer um, needs to grow, especially in our community. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And I will catch you guys on the next episode of Level Up with Lou. Until then, take care, everyone. Bye.